Kia ora, I'm Madison Reedy, and you're listening to the Deloitte Private Podcast On Point. Being a business owner is anything but easy, especially when challenges like COVID-19 come your way. In this podcast, we'll chat to some of the best Kiwi entrepreneurs who've come out the other side of crises before. We'll find out how they turned failures into fuel and self-doubt into success. Expect stories from the startup trenches and guidance about growth directly from those who've done it. This is On Point. Social media has taken the world by storm. From influencers on Instagram to trending on TikTok, it's something every business is having to buy into. And if content is king, then entrepreneur Wendy Thompson is its queen. A decade ago, she foresaw the social revolution and quit her corporate day job to start Socialites. It's now been crowned Australasia's social media agency of the year, managing over a million fans for most of New Zealand and the world's biggest companies. With headquarters in Auckland, it's grown to be a $24 million a year business, and it's not slowing down. Wendy, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Great to be here, Madison. Let's go straight to the elephant in the room, or should I say the elephant online, COVID. People are so desperate for connection through content these days. What changes have you seen in the type of content people want and the type of way that they're engaging with it? Um, It's been really interesting, actually, over the last couple of COVID years. So immediately, growth went up by about 60% in all our social media channels, which is really interesting. And it stayed there, which is which is also interesting. So things have just have just risen. I think there's been a lot more vulnerability coming out. I think emotions have been higher and you're seeing that reflected in social media. So people are expecting a lot more from brands and businesses on social media than they were before. It's, um, and you're seeing a lot more emotion, which is I quite enjoy, actually. I think it's lovely. 60% growth. That's insane. Did you ever expect that? Yes, but not in like two weeks, which is kind of what happened. <laughs> what, what's really happened, I think a lot of business owners are talking about about this in general, but, you know, the digital transformation was always happening and it's always been happening. It's just super sonic. It's really fast. How has that changed sort of your customer base and more people coming to you saying, oh my gosh, help, we need to be on social? Yeah, it hasn't. We've, I mean, to be fair, we have been in a lucky business position where we don't really go out too much and hunt for business. It does tend to, we're sort of at that nice size that we're sort of small enough or nimble enough that the people that we work for come to us and they they know that they need to be on social, which is really lovely. But there's definitely just been an increase. One of the things we did during during COVID, because it was really a tough time, and I, I know you've sort of got some questions about that, but right at the beginning, what happened is pretty much over the course of one or two weeks, we lost 39% of our sort of recurring revenue, which was really intense and that was just caused to people panicking and just not knowing what was happening and so just going okay that's it we're we're just going to pause everything and that as business owners really made us um obviously slightly slightly scared but also made us rethink our business quite a bit and a couple of things we did uh was was relook at what we are offering one of the things we started doing was a smb service so a set up a service specifically for small business owners which was really interesting and that's increased our customer base which is has worked out really well for us in the long run. COVID taught you to be pretty agile then? Yes, yes. I mean, we're in social and digital, so we're agile, but this was business agility. <laughs> Got to use those uh, great, kind of, I suppose, inbuilt skills that you have as a social media expert and apply them to business. And yeah, there was not pivoting. We're just adding and, and taking advantage of opportunities and thinking laterally and creatively. How did you not panic when all of your customers were panicking and pulling pin? Oh, we did panic. Uh, <laughs> There was definitely some panic moments, but at the end of the day, I'm really lucky. I do have a fantastic co-CEO, Melanie Spencer, and uh, who joined our business 
uh, about a year or so before COVID hit. And we, at the end of the day, we just really stuck to stuck to our, one of our big values is trust your gut. And we're like, okay, everyone's panicking right now. COVID's happening. And it's, it's hard to think back now two years ago what it was like, but it was just so much unknown. I think we've almost got used to living with unknowns down. We're in this crazy traffic light 3.7475 system. But at the time, it was really a, okay, do we really trust that, you know, the business is going to be okay? And interestingly, the big first conversation we had, well, if people can't go anywhere and if we're going into lockdowns, they're going to have, they're going to go straight to the internet. And they did. So even though our clients were pausing and going, oh, we're not so sure, we felt very strongly that they would, that would be a short-term thing. Um, and it was a risk, like it really was a risk. And in retrospect, it's like, of course, they're going to come back to the internet. But back then, we didn't know. But we did trust that they would. So we um, doubled down and, and went, yep, let's go start the season um, Let's, you know, that'll hopefully fill some gaps. And the other thing we did was we had the opportunity to buy a influencer agency, uh, came up because of, you know, sort of the timing of the COVID crisis and things like that. And we decided to jump on that. And even though we'd lost revenue, we decided to invest in buying a buying another company and expanding our service op- offering. So took a bit of, I'm going to say bravery. If it hadn't have worked out, I'd say stupidity, but it did. And um, we went for it. And that has been fantastic for our business. It's made us really strong. Well, speaking of bravery, let's go right back to the beginning 10 years ago. <laughs> you started an agency that focused solely on social media. That would have been a bold move then, absolutely. <laughs> what did you see in social a decade ago that told you it was going to take off like it has? Oh, I was so excited when I really came across social media as a marketer. So at the time, my now ex-husband and I had a biomechanics and physio practice and I'd come from the advertising world where, you know, marketing budgets were pretty, pretty awesome. And suddenly, we, you know, we had a small business. We couldn't, we didn't have the millions of dollars to spend. And I started using Facebook, it was just sort of Facebook and Twitter back then, to talk. We set up a Facebook page or a must have been profile back then, started talking to customers. And when we started talking to customers, I was, as a marketer, absolutely amazed with how quickly we could talk to massive amounts of people in a one-to-one way. And I realized that as a marketer, that's kind of your dream. Like it's your golden dream is to actually talk to people when they want to be talked to about things that they want to be talked to about. And through having, through being on Facebook back 10 years ago, you could do that. So instead of having to like ring, you know, a hundred people up, you could just put one Facebook post out and you'd talk to a hundred people back in those days. Things have changed. But back then I could see that as a, from a business point of view, it was amazing. From a general consumer human point of view, you know, social media really is the, it's got a lot of detractors as well. But at the end of the day, we've just got to remember it's communication. It's just a communication platform. And it's a way that you can communicate with people all around the world in a very easy, simple way, which is kind of magic, I think. And people want to connect. Everybody wants, you know, it's one of the, just part of being human, you want to connect. So I knew it was going to be there. Yeah. Everyone can see that magic now because it's so heavily ingrained in almost everyone's life. But yeah. 10 years ago, it certainly wasn't what it is now. Did anyone tell you you were a wee bit crazy? Absolutely. And, and to your point before, you said, you know, did it change the profile of people wanting to come to you? Back then, people were not coming to us um, <laughs> 10 years ago. There definitely was a lot of uh, education that had to be done. And interestingly, like our first clients back then were people, were actually more like we're talking to say CEOs and marketing managers, but it was the board people on the board who were actually saying, "Hey, I've heard about the social media thing. Can you do something about it?" It wasn't the CEO and the marketing directors; it was the board members uh, driving that uh, investigation, which is really, really interesting. And yeah, it's become a real, you know, it's become just so important. It used to be an add-on, and now overseas, what we're seeing is 
budgets are, you know, marketing budgets are sort of 60% digital uh, nowadays overseas. In New Zealand, they're trailing behind, but they will catch up. And people are designing for social media first with everything they're doing. So they're like, okay, what conversations? They're starting with what conversations do we want people to have, not what do I want to tell somebody? And that's a really beautiful, uh, better way, I think, to make the world a better place personally. If marketing execs weren't on board back then, how did you win these type of people over and actually get them to spend some of their budget with you? Uh, With a lot of hustling and salesmanship. (laughs) Tell me about the hustle. The hustle said, oh, um, it was normally you'd start off by saying, let's just do a pilot. Like, to be completely honest, you'd just say, let's just do a pilot. And it's very hard to say no to a pilot because there's no no risk, really. It's like, let's do a six-month pilot. We'll spend, you know, X amount of dollars. And in that time, you know, if it doesn't go well, you can you, you can say say to the board or say to we've at least we've given it a go. Um, if it does go really well, then then we're in. Um, then, then you've got to commit to it. And in a hundred percent of the cases, the pilots worked out. So that was kind of our, I suppose, our Tro- Trojan horse, really. Um, I mean, we had all the stats and things like that as well. But at the end of the day, they don't. They're not going to get someone across the line. Just some statistics. You actually need to actually see, let them see the magic. And once they actually saw the magic, so in six months' time, you can change, uh, you can show them examples of what people are saying about the brand, get insights out, and really add huge value to a business in, in just six months. So that was kind of our, our way to do it. We never did it for free. We still charged, but at least, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> it's why we're profitable. But um, we did we did do that. No such thing as a freelance, right? Yeah, we didn't. We, we, just, we did charge, charge for that, but it was an investment. Absolutely. One of your earlier campaigns as well, when you were gaining ground, was in 2014. You were behind the campaign to rebrand Telecom into Spark. You did that in three weeks. How? Yeah, that was crazy. So what happened is Jason Paris, who was sort of the acting CEO at the time, because Simon was was away overseas, rang me up and sort of said, I heard you um, do social media and we've just realised we we don't have any plans and we launch in three weeks. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So we came into the office, had a quick meeting with him and he's like, what, what do we need to do? And I'm like, what are you doing at the moment? He's like, well, we've got half a person working on it, kind of, kind of at the moment. And I was like, okay. So we actually moved my entire team, which to be fair at the time was only five people, into the Spark offices. And we worked out of their offices for those three weeks just and we, we kind of skipped the planning part. And we just went straight to the doing, which was great. So we just had full trust um, full transparency. We were dr- talking directly to you know to the senior people who needed the decision makers, and we just went for it. It was it was really fun, but there was no big long PowerPoint presentations. It was I mean we pitched like that. Um, some of the ideas we pitched on a no like on a scrap of paper like with drawing. <laughs> we think we should do this, and we need this much money for it. And I'm like, yep, signed off. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Haven't got to do that very often, but excellent. For that campaign, you utilised Snapchat. How did you know that that was the right platform for use for that then? At the time, one of the key reasons that they were uh, changing from Telecom to Spark, or one of the key markets they really wanted to go after, was the younger market. So back in that time, Vodafone really owned the youth. They they were just cool, to be honest. (laughs) Just just a cooler brand. And Telecom was kind of old and stuffy. So that was where the whole Spark rebrand came from. So we looked at where the youth were hanging out, the youth, and it was Snapchat. They weren't on Facebook so much. Like they're on Facebook, but a little bit. But Snapchat was where they were definitely hanging out. And you could have some real fun. There were also no other corporates or no other New Zealand corporates on Snapchat. So by jumping on, we I knew it would be a novelty. Be like, oh my goodness, Spark's on Snapchat. Let's go talk to them. So we just went for it. And what we had, how we did it was there was, uh, we organised a, 
it's called like an ATM or an automatic thanks machine, which was an idea we'd seen overseas. And we had these ATM automatic thanks machines moving around the country and they gave out passes to like, like passes to Beyonce or new Nokia phones and like all these cool little prizes. And all you had to do was like put in your um, spark phone number and line up, put it in and see what came out. So you know, from small to big prizes. And we only talked about that on Snapchat. So it started out, you know, with like 10 people turning up, our first one. And then we did this road show around the country. And by the end of it, we had to hire security guards. We had thousands of people. <laughs> it became super viral uh, with all these thousands of people turning up to, to, to do it. And in that, they just became, Spark became cool because there was all this two-way conversation and banter and we had lots to talk about because we are literally doing a road show around the country. So the team were doing lots of Snapchats and like, hi, everybody, what you're doing? And it was really fun. It was very interactive and full-on and amazing. You can literally write on your CV, I made Spark cool. Yes. <laughs> no, there's a lot more to it than that, but we made it cool for the youth. <laughs> and that segment of the population, I'm, I'm happy to take credit. <laughs> the rest of it, nah, the other people around. <laughs> what questions do you think that all business owners should be asking themselves when they're deciding what social platforms to be on? Or should they just be on all of them and do it all at once? There's probably two key questions. First one is where are your customers or where is where's your community? So if you are looking at you know, pretty much anyone under 18, you should be, um, or any, to be honest, anyone under 25, you should be on TikTok right now because that's where most of the work is happening. And also Snapchat's still really big in that in that space. If you are talking to, I know, gamers, you should be on Twitch. If you're talking to, uh, I suppose, your Gen Xs or Gen Zs like me, um, you know, that's your Instagram sort of following. So it's looking where, where your people are and being there. The other one to think about is if you're a small business owner, uh, not applicable for the large brands, but is where are you actually comfortable? Like if you love Instagram and yet all your customers are on Facebook, it's going to be really hard for you to do Facebook well. So it's actually a little bit of a, and if you're going to be doing social media yourself as a small business owner, you've got to got to sort of go where you're comfortable because you do need to understand the platform well. Doing it badly is is quite detrimental to a brand. When would it be worth a small business owner actually taking that step and learning to be better at a platform they're not so comfortable with? Always, to be honest. Um, I'm just cognizant of small business owners. I think they should always put that time into to do it and to talk to their customers where their customers are. But I just know that sometimes operations get in the way of doing that. <laughs> so just being, just being pragmatic, it doesn't always happen. Um, but they should definitely do it and like it's, it depends on your culture. Like I love learning, so I love learning new platforms and getting in there and doing it. But I'm just aware that not everybody's um, crazy about learning new social media platforms like me. <laughs> but be great if they could. An ideal world. Big or small businesses, where do you see so many of them going wrong with their social media strategy? Oh, the worst thing I see, honestly, it's <laughs> hilarious, is and it hasn't changed since like 10 years ago, is that they get the intern or the most junior person on the team to run their social media accounts. Do you think they just look at them and think, you're young, you must get it, you do it? Exactly. That's exactly what they think. So they still don't take it seriously? No, like you wouldn't have that person, you know, on, you know, speaking to you right now or on the project or you know, on the 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock news. So why are you having them running your most public and most kind of influential presence, daily presence. It's just crazy, but it happens all the time. Just, and it can be, you know, I see that in big businesses and in small businesses. It's hilarious and ridiculous, but that is what it is. So basically they should start taking it more seriously from listening to this right now. They should take it more seriously. They should hire us. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> but plug. They should, they're <laughs> absolute plug right now, but it's just amazing. Like every time we take over a, an account, 
who, when it's been run like that and you actually put professionals in there who are, when I started, there weren't, the community management wasn't a job, like there was no job title. So we sort of had to kind of make it up. And now we have like, now team, we've got like, I don't know, seven or eight full-time community management um, team and it's a career. <laughs> so learning how to talk to, you know, it's more than customer service. It's like learning how to talk to hundreds of thousands of people um, on brand without saying the wrong thing and making everyone feel loved is actually a real skill. So um, I think having some training or using professional people or the best people in your organisation is really key. And especially because social media is always changing. There's always new tools popping up like Instagram shop or this crazy rise recently of TikTok and recently the introduction of the so-called metaverse. Still getting my head around (laughs) this one. How do you remain agile and on the pulse with where audiences and consumers are and what they're using? It's That's a really great question and it's something we're super committed to. So as an organisation, we've inbuilt that into our values. So as a, you know, I sort of talked about some of our values before, but never stop learning is one of our core values. And we have this absolute culture of learning. So we have a daily, the team are sharing little things that they saw. Uh, It helps that I've got a team full of people who are excited about learning and excited about our platforms. And we are a specialist company. So because all we do is social media, we're not getting distracted with other things. Like, to be honest, there's enough happening in social that's distracting, as you just pointed out. <laughs> like, just keeping on top of everything. One person can't do it, so collectively as a team we do it. Um, right now we're doing a big piece of work into so- all the different social selling platforms. Fascinating. And it really helps because we do a bit in the Asia markets as well. So, like, you know, WeChat and Redbook and things like that. Um over in China and Indonesia and things. And when we look at what's happening there, they're often quite ahead of Western markets. So we can apply those learnings and insights as they start to come through in the Western ones, you know, a couple of years later. So that's one little trick that we do is keep ahead of what's happening in the East. But um, oh, it's so much fun, like trying to convince, like right now I'm really into, you know, Web 3.0 and NFTs and all that sort of stuff. It's Bitcoin, you just got to stay ahead of what's happening. NFTs blow my mind. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm trying to, yeah, I think I'm going to have to make one. I'm trying to convince some clients into it at the moment. Um, but I think I just want to make one for myself. It just it feels fun. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. And obviously there's so much content out there, so much for people to choose from, and we know that people's attention spans are shrinking. Hopefully they're still listening to this right now. <laughs> so how does a business or a brand remain relevant with consumers? I think... The most important thing is to think of your social media channels as a journey. And just like your business, you're using your social media channels to bring your community into your journey. So you're inviting them along to come and help make your business, to borrow Trump's um, uh, words, but to make your business great. And if they're part of that journey, you're walking along with them on the journey. And as things happen or new filters come out or whatever, you're, you're part of that, new trends come out, you, you're you doing it together. You're not trying to uh, do it separately and not necessarily leading, you're, you're going with them. I hope that makes some sort of sense. In my head it does, but... <laughs> it did to me. Are there rules to posting? I think there are rules, but it's important to set your own rules. And one of the, actually one really important thing for all business owners to be aware is that you're actually legally responsible for the experience on your own social media channels. Uh, so if you set up a, you know, a Madison page all about you, um, anyone that comments on that or replies is is like their, it's it's your responsibility. So you need to have rules in place. For example, um, you know, no bullying is a simple one. And if someone gets bullied, it's actually up to you as the page owner 
to to stop that or, or do something about it. So it's quite important to to have that in place and think and think about that. It is a responsibility to have to have social media platforms. And you actually touched on this earlier when you mentioned vulnerability. And I sort of see this as the term authenticity too. There's this rise of the anti-influencer at the moment. It's sort of a revolt against an obsession with our lives revolving around likes. Will that kill social media as we know it, do you think? No, but I I love that movement actually. Um, And it's interesting because all the social media platforms are encouraging that. They don't want people to be all about the likes, which I quite like. Uh, I mean, I've got two teenage daughters and really, really interesting, which, oh, actually, this is fascinating. People use social media differently. So my generation, we got bought up with magazines and, um, you know, everything was glossy and perfection. So if you look at, you know, the Generation X kind of social media feeds, it's all glossy perfection highlights. But then if you look at my children who are, you know, 13 and 15, almost 16, their social media feeds are them making one, they don't post, they don't keep anything up there. They don't use it like a memory bank like we do. So they don't um, kind of look back on it and curate it perfectly. But they also, when they send me messages to their friends, it's like them in the moment. So it's like an ugly photo of them and their pimples or something like that. It's very, very different how they use it. And I love that because they're actually using it. You know, They don't have preconceptions of mass media, really. Their mass media is social media because that's what that's all they use, really. And that's how they use it. They're just putting themselves out there. It's it's really interesting. And if you look at the younger artists coming through as well, like your Lizzo's and your Billie Eilish, it's raw and it's not perfect and it's who they are. So you really see that. It's liberating. It's liberating. It's great. And it's, I think social media, especially for the younger generations, it embraces authenticity, as you say. They, you know, people can pick out a fake a mile out and you know you can. So that sort of isn't rewarded anymore. It's kind of interesting. I am keen to speak with you also about culture. And I've heard you say before that Socialites does cool things with good people, which sounds <laughs> extremely simple. But what does that actually look like day in, day out in your business operation? Oh, it's fun. Well, it means that we get to, and we're lucky because we're an independent agency, we can sort of pick and choose and say no to things. If we, you know, like we won't work with vaping clients, for example. Um, it's got to feel feel right to us. So that's that's important. But on a day-to-day level, gosh, oh, yeah. for example, we look after the New World account and during the first, you know, COVID lockdowns, our team were on the front line in a very volatile, emotional community. And it was just really, like, I still get chills thinking about it, like the emotions and the um, care and the support that they could put out to, you know, New Zealand during that time just just made us feel like we were really... Um, doing our bit, I suppose. And the insights that we were getting every day from the community, we were sending straight to the board and they were making decisions every day based on what we were telling them that the community was saying. So it was very, very a position you feel really honoured to be in when you're sort of helping um, communities at that level. And then on a day-to-day level, I was just thinking about a cool little campaign we did for you by Cotex, which was all about, um, you know, periods and pads and you know, period undies. And it was just so cool because we did this great campaign with these influencers. And one influencer is a tradie in Queenstown and she's hilarious and she's trying to break down stereotypes of women being tradies. But we had all these different people talking about how different, how periods are really different and just really normalising it, which I, as a, you know, as a a mother with teenagers, I love that we're sort of normalising, you know, normal body stuff and not making people embarrassed. So it's kind of it's cool. <laughs> Super cool. Do you think that a business makes a culture or does a culture make or break a business? Well, a culture makes or breaks a business. I mean, I think, you know, Graham Henry's always said, you know, culture 
beat strategy for breakfast, and I would agree with that. Every person that works for you and becomes part of your culture, and I always say, like we have like a you know, RSA, like a Returning Socialites Association. So we've had people that worked for us like nine or 10 years ago that have now come back and are working for us again. And I just say that every time someone comes and works for us, I mean, our team's only sort of 25, 26 at the moment, which is which is really powerful. But over the years, every everyone's added to the company and it's just really, it's really kind of cool. So we've got all these little bits that come in. My biggest thing as a leader of culture is I always someone said it to me once and it really stuck in my head is that what you walk past, you condone. So I sort of see myself not so much the culture maker, but the culture curator and making sure that everything stays on track. Um, and that's sort of my job as the leader. So rather than you enforcing a culture that you want, you let it foster itself. Yeah. I sort of, I let it organically grow. Like we're very big on our values. Um, so everything has to fit values. And if people very quickly, if they don't fit our values, people just don't last, which is great. And then my job is to is to kind of police it, police the culture. <laughs> and that's just by, yeah, not condoning anything that's, that's, that's not right and calling it. Speaking of people that you work with, how has working with Deloitte Private helped socialites succeed over the years? Oh, what's fantastic about Deloitte Private is you've got this network of other people who are, are like you in terms of they've got the same, they might be completely different businesses, but they've got the same levels of, um, you know, we, we all have HR, you know, challenges. We all have cash flow challenges at some stage. Um, the other thing about being a business founder and owner is, it, you know, it can be quite lonely and Deloitte Private really gives you that sense of um, community and that you're that you're not by yourself and um, you can workshop ideas around and sort of learn from each other. Well, thank you so much for joining us at Wendy. And in fact, on that point of loneliness, it's a tricky time for a lot of business owners out there. What's your advice to any of them that are doing it tough right now? Oh, it's such a hard one. Yeah, I think everybody is doing it tough, even if you think you're not doing it tough. So my biggest advice is to be kind, not just to other people, but to yourself. I think it's really important right now to give yourself a big break. If things don't you don't get done what you wanted to do or you don't behave like you wanted to behave, I think you need to give yourself a break right now and just be absolutely kind and look after yourself. And um, yeah, that's my biggest piece of advice there. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Wendy. That is Wendy Thompson, the co-chief executive and founder of Socialites. Thanks, Madison. I'm Madison Reedy. Thank you for listening to On Point, brought to you by Deloitte Private. Deloitte Private.